Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is not only to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversation about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Have you ever found yourself in the position in which you were faced with two, or maybe even more than two, difficult choices, right? A a situation where there just doesn't seem to be an easy option. I think we've all been there at one time or another. It could be that we're not happy with our health or our weight and we have to choose, right? Whether we're going to stay unhappy, that's one hard, or to choose to make the changes we need to, to our lifestyle, our diet, our activity levels, that's another hard. It could be in a relationship that the relationship is struggling and we can either do the hard thing of working through it and talking through it and and getting through it together or we can let that relationship wither and fall apart. Both options are hard. The fact remains that even in the midst of those situations where we feel like we only have a hard choice, We always have a choice to make. It's not always between a difficult option and an easy option. If it were, I think we'd most often take the easy one. But but more often than not, it's a choice between two difficult choices. In our household, we talk about this as choosing your hard, right? Either option is going to bring its own challenges But we have to choose which challenges we're going to embrace and which challenges we're going to lean into because of what is on the other side of those choices. I think part of the reason that this is the reality that we live in is because anything worth doing is going to have its own heart, right? Can can you think of some time where you know, there was just an easy choice and the thing on the other side, it was something of immense value and worth. You know, those things come through challenge. They come through hard work. They come through hard things. So we always have a choice. And while it can be tempting not to choose and just kind of let things happen, not choosing is its own kind of choosing, isn't it? We just give up our ability to influence what is going to happen. In the passage that Jeremy read for us this morning, I think the Israelites are in one of those positions where they have to choose their heart. They have to choose to lean in to what God's doing or they have to choose not to lean into what God's doing, but both are going to be hard. You see, the Israelites have been delivered from their slavery in Egypt at this point. They've been to uh, Mount Sinai and formed a covenant with God there. And now God has led them to the very threshold of the promised land, the land he promised to Abraham to give to his descendants. And there at Kadesh Barnea, God told them, before you go in as a people, 
Send in a group of spies to scout out the land, to see what it's like. One spy from each of the tribes of Israel. Those spies were to see how the land were, how the land was, uh, but also to see what the people there were like, what the, the cities were, how strong they were, and then to come back and give a report to Moses and the people. And when they come back from seeing the land, that's where Jeremy started reading this morning. And they brought this report that was part of our scripture reading today that said these 10 spies, they said, the people are too big. The cities are too strong. We can never conquer this land. But then two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, well, that's, that, that's true, but God can do it. You see, they, they, they believed that God was able to do what God said he would do. There was something different about Joshua and Caleb. And, and we know a little bit more about Joshua, right? He shows up a good bit through these uh, early Old Testament stories. There's even a whole book of the Bible named after Joshua and, and how he led the people to conquer the promised land. But I want to take a little bit of time this morning and look a bit more at Caleb. Not just here in Numbers 13, but, but to look at the sweep of his story through the Old Testament, not just in Numbers, but also a little bit in Joshua, to see what we can learn from Caleb about what it means to trust God even when the challenges are great. Because I don't know about you, but I find myself living in some challenging times. And it's not just because all my worship leaders are out of town. But I find I'm living in some challenging times and there are some things that are happening in, in the world around me that are a challenge to me. And they challenge my faith some days. And so I wanna share with you some of the stories that I've been learning from Caleb. Uh, some of these are, are lessons that I've learned now several times, and I'm still learning. Sometimes I have to learn things two or three times before it really sinks in and sticks. But I want to look at, at some of these lessons I've been learning about Caleb and share them with you. So back to the story, right? The spies come back from scouting out the land, and the majority of them, 10 out of 12, give this report to the Israelites, that they wouldn't be able to take the land from the inhabitants. But then Caleb stands up and silences the crowd. Here's what verse 30 of Numbers 13 says. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He says, we should go up. We can do this. And he stands alone as the lone voice against the majority, believing that they could trust God's word to them. And as Jeremy kept reading, the 10 spies, they're not convinced. They don't change their story. They double down on their report saying, we can't do this. 
And as all this is taking place between the spies and Moses and the people, the people of Israel find themselves standing on a precipice, right? Not a literal cliff where they're looking down over the edge, but a precipice. This is a decisive moment for the people of God. The same people, by the way, who had seen God demonstrate his power over the gods of Egypt through the 10 plagues. The same people who had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The same people who had met with God at Mount Sinai with the thunder and the lightning and the fire and the smoke. And they entered into a covenant relationship with God. The same people who are now ready to abandon the whole project, elect a new leader, and go back to normal. To go back to what was familiar. To go back to what they were comfortable with. Even though normal and familiar and comfortable was slavery in Egypt. Let that sink in for just a minute people who had seen the miraculous acts of God fighting on their behalf get one bad report and they're ready to throw it all away. And in this life-defining moment, they chose poorly. Rather than trusting the God who had delivered them, they let their fear choose their hard for them. They failed the test. The result of failing that test was that they were going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until each and every one of those adults who were old enough to be part of making that decision died in the wilderness. But there was something different about Caleb. There was something different about Caleb. And in Numbers chapter 14, if you just turn over another page, if you're reading along, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, God is in the midst of telling Moses exactly what's going to happen to these people who have rejected him, these people who have chosen to let their fear rule over their trust. And he's telling them about how they're going to wander in the wilderness. And not one of them was going to enter into the land promised to their ancestors. But in verse 24, God says, but, but, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. You see, in the midst of God's judgment on the people for their unbelief, God says, but there's something different about that guy, Caleb. There's something different about the way he follows me. And because of that, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor Caleb because of the way he follows me. Wholeheartedly. And I think there are three differences 
that we can point to, three lessons we can learn from Caleb that are different than uh, the other spies, different than the people who chose to believe the report of the spies, three differences that we can learn about from Caleb that can help us when we face even challenging times. First of all, Caleb saw things with a different perspective, right? Because he didn't see different things than the other spies. They all went together. They scouted out the land. They all saw the fortified cities. They all saw the good produce of the land. They saw the giants who were living there. Caleb saw all those things, but he didn't just see those things. Caleb's vision, his perspective was of God and what God could do, not what the Israelites could do on their own, but what God could do on their behalf. You see, Caleb chose to see things, even scary, challenging things, through the eyes of faith. He trusted that God would do what God had said he would do. Caleb saw things with a different perspective. And that different perspective then led him to have a different kind of obedience. Right? God said, God himself said, Caleb follows me wholeheartedly. There was no division in her heart. There wasn't one part of him that wanted to go into the promised land and one part of him that wanted to go back to Egypt. There wasn't one part of him that said, we can trust God, and another part that said, uh, maybe not. Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. There was no wavering in his heart. There was no wavering in his faith. There was no compromise in his trust in God. So much so that he was willing to stand, not just against the 10 spies, not just against the majority of the people he had been sent to explore with, but against all the people of Israel. He stood up even when it was unpopular because Caleb had a conviction about what God could do that was stronger than his fear of what the people around him thought. Caleb had a different kind of obedience based on that different perspective that he held. And it led him to have then a different perseverance. See, when the the going got tough for the people of Israel, they said, let's get out of here. Let's go back to Egypt. But even though Caleb had that different perspective, even though he had a different obedience, Caleb still had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He still had to face the consequence of the people's choice to distrust God. He didn't get the option to say, all right, here at Kadesh Barnea, right on the threshold of the promised land, I'm just going to build a little house, start a little farm here. When you guys get back from doing all that you're going to do over the next 40 years, pick me up on the way and we'll go into the promised land. He didn't get out of it. 
He didn't get to somehow bypass it. He didn't get to go into the promised land ahead of everyone else. But even in the midst of all of that, Caleb didn't give up on his people and he didn't give up on his God. Turn with me over to Joshua chapter 14. So we're going from Numbers chapter 14 to Joshua chapter 14. 40 years. We just just went through 40 years. And in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, the people are there. They've come into the promised land. And Caleb with them. And this is what Joshua chapter 14, verse 6 says. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back to him a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the, day, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised. He has kept me alive these 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still just as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You heard, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and that their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 45 years later. 45 years later. And Caleb still had a promise in his heart. 45 years later, he still had a conviction that God would do what God had said he would do. 45 years later, at 85 years old, I can't even wrap my mind around the 45 years later, let alone the 85. 45 years later, Caleb is still ready for a fight. He's still ready to obey what God has told them 45 years ago and what God was telling them again now. You see, Caleb had a different kind of perspective. He had a different obedience and that led to a different uh, perseverance. And the result of all of that was that Caleb received a different inheritance, a different legacy than the others of his generation. If we continue reading in Joshua 14, 
Verse 13, then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. There's that word again, wholeheartedly. Caleb got to see the land that his children would inhabit for generations. He got to be part of seeing what God was going to do because he trusted in what God was saying. He got to enter the promised land and he's one of two whose names we even remember. Without looking back, could could any of you name any of the other 10 spies? I can't. I can't. But there was something different about Caleb. And that something different was that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And I think we in the church in America today, and here at First Methodist in particular, are facing a similar kind of precipice as the people of Israel were that day. But it's not necessarily a a cliff that we need to be worried about falling off of. It's a cliff we've got to prepare to climb. A hill we need to take. You see, I think this is a decisive moment for our generation. And just like just like the, for the Israelites, that generation was all of the adults who had come out of Egypt together, all the adults who were able to make that decision. I'm not talking today about a generation like Gen Z or millennials or Gen X or baby boomers. I'm talking about all the people of God who are alive in this time, the ones who are here for such a time as this. And COVID has accelerated some of the shifts that were already taking place within our country and our culture. But I also think it gave us an opportunity to leave some of Egypt behind us. Things that were normal and familiar and comfortable. But also some things that maybe we'd become slaves to. See, the church in America today is having to wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus faithfully, even when it's not the popular option. We're living increasingly in a post-Christian culture, which is reacting against the Christian culture that, that some of us grew up in and have known. But it's not just returning to a, a culture that was pre-Christian, but it's reacting against Christianity. It's, it wants the benefits of Christianity without the restrictions. It seeks to undermine that biblical worldview. See, people today don't want to be told there's such a thing as sin. And after seven weeks of Lent, I don't want to hear it anymore either. But we want the freedom to be whoever we want to be today. And that means there's increasingly little tolerance in a culture of tolerance for a Christian worldview that says truth is revealed and absolute. In the sermon series that we we did in the fall, we talked about this as living in digital Babylon. 
right? We're not living in Jerusalem like we used to. The culture around us isn't as friendly as it once was. And it's more like we're the Jewish exiles living in Babylon than the Jewish people living in the promised land. And, and Babylon has different values and priorities and, and it seeks to impose us, impose itself on us. And friends, the reality is we can't go back to normal. We can't go back to what was comfortable or what was familiar. Whatever the future looks like, it won't be the same old normal that we knew once upon a time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You see, the church in America has been in a maintenance mode, managing its decline for a long time. But the church throughout history has always been at its strongest when it's being opposed, when it's acting in a counter-cultural way. The church father, Tertullian, is quoted as saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's when uh, the church has received the most persecution that it has grown the fastest. And so it's time for us to discover to rediscover, to define what a resilient faith is and pass that on to the next generation. I'm going to be starting a, a confirmation class with about a half a dozen kids later today. I'm going to ask them at some point in that confirmation class to reach out to an adult in the church who they're not related to, who's not a friend of their parents. So it could be one of you. Be prepared to call and ask, why are you a member of the church? Why is it important for you to be a member of our congregation? We've got to pass it on to the next generation. You see, the methods and the programs may look different than they have in the past, but that doesn't mean that the message is going to change. I think scripture would argue that it cannot and so we find ourselves needing to ask ourselves some questions. Are we going to look at the circumstances we find ourselves in? Or with Caleb, are we going to look to God? Are we going to trust God to move us into the promised land? Or are we going to wander in the wilderness until we die? Which hard are we going to choose? And so it's time for us as a church to take a stand and as, as Jude said in his epistle, to contend for the faith which was once and for all entrusted to the saints. And to do that, we've got to get clear on what it means to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, even in the midst of 2023. What does it look like to live with a biblical worldview on things like salvation, integrity, Sexuality, priorities, success and performance. And friends, I'm not here to tell you that I think it's going to be easy. I think it's going to be something of a fight. But a fight that's done in love. Because we're not called like Joshua and the Israelites were, 
to conquer the nation around us. We're called to win them with love, to so embody the presence of Jesus and the way of Jesus that people are drawn into that relationship, that people are drawn into. They want to be a part of what God is doing because they see what God has done in you and what he is doing. But our future and the inheritance that we leave for the succeeding generations is what's at stake. And if we die in the wilderness, who is going to disciple our children? It's Babylon. Babylon and Egypt. So are we going to choose the promised land with the challenges that come with it? Are we going to choose the wilderness? And the hard things there. Or are we going to try to go back to Egypt and all the difficulties that go along with that? And listen, I'm your pastor. But this isn't a decision I can make for each of you. It's a decision you each have to make. And there are decisions coming that you're going to have to make as the people of God. You've got to choose for yourself. See, the Israelites didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to go back to Egypt, but instead they got the wilderness. And while the world is changing, even as we speak, whether we want it to or not, we have to choose the changes that we're going to make. We have to choose our heart. We have to choose which changes we're going to lean into. And I'm not just talking about changing the world. I'm talking about how are we going to change our church? Are we going to be active in bringing the change that we want to see? Or are we going to wait and see what changes are pushed upon us? Or are we going to imagine that there's a church out there somewhere that's doing it exactly right? And if we just find that one church, everything will be ducky. These are challenges I see ahead for us as a church. But the reality is each of us has challenges we're facing, even in our own lives. What we've learned from Caleb about having a different perspective, a different obedience, a different perseverance, it applies to those situations as well. We've got to choose. Will we look at our world, the challenges we're facing in our lives and our family with God's perspective? Will we commit ourselves to obedience based on the conviction that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do no matter how hard it gets? Will we persevere faithfully until God brings us to the promised land that he is leading us to? There was something different about Caleb. He followed God wholeheartedly. How's your heart this morning? How's your following Jesus this morning? And God's calling us to be a people about whom there is something different. He's calling us to be a wholehearted people. We've got a choice.